0: Live from the hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with rabbis Arya Bramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel.
1: Hello, Fellowship. Am I on? I hope this works. <laughs> Oi, we were planning to host an entirely different event today. Um, we had been planning it for weeks. The week before, we just felt like the timing wasn't right. You know, we're trying to be led, trying to be guided, trying to be open to what the world around us is communicating to us and where Hashem is leading us. And it just didn't feel right. Days later, it seems like we were right. I mean, today is not the right day for a massive online rally. Uh, today, Israel has called for a national day of mourning. And everyone in Israel is just stunned at the tragedy of what happened in Mayron on Magba Omer. I mean, right now, the count is 45 people have died and still a a hundred more people are injured. So many people who died were fathers of so many children. It's like 45 families just destroyed and so many children were just orphaned. It's like just such a shock. Never in Israel's history has there been such a, just a national disaster that was just for no reason. There was no terror attack. It was just a tragedy. And so I think it'd be best if we start with a prayer for those families, all of us coming from around the world, which like from Alaska and South Africa and Europe, and just all of us for like one moment, to be like one heart with those families. Hashem, oi. We don't know how to process this. We don't understand this. We don't want this. Ugh. What are we supposed to do with this? Here we are. Your people from around the world, whatever we can send these families, we're sending them comfort, peace, support, love, prayers, shalom, whatever power our prayers have, we're sending that power to the mothers of all those children and to all of the families. Give them strength to to be who they need to be for their children and for the people around them now. Help hear their broken hearts and rebuild their broken world. Like we're here waiting for the calling, waiting to respond to your command. We gather here every week to learn together. And this week, I feel like we've come here to beat together, like a heart, to feel the pulse of Israel, to be connected to the beating heart of Israel. Our hearts are all one today. If we somehow have the ability to add healing and love in the world today, that's what we want to do, to send love and light and healing and comfort to all of Israel. Amen. Okay. All right, my friends. So this definitely wasn't planned, but um, I just want to first tell you where, where, where I'm holding it. You know, I spent a good number of hours just staring at my journal, at my computer screen, having not the slightest idea what to write. And people have been writing me from all over, sending their prayers and their blessings, trying to understand what happened in own. What on earth is Israel celebrating? What is La'gba Omer? Why are they celebrating in mass like this? Why did this happen? And I just kept saying, like, I, I have no words. I Just my inner judge is giving me a hard time. It's like, come on, Jeremy, people are reaching out to you for your words and your responses. I have no words. Like you're literally failing right now. And the only answer I had to my own judge was I think, That's just what all of Israel feels right now. No one has any idea how to process this. So they're writing in order to feel closer to Israel because they're so far away right now, and I'm giving over our heart now. Our heart has no words. But today, I feel like we're being put to the test. We've talked a lot about preparing for hard times, building our ark, always ready for the flood. Just last week, I talked about inviting God into our lives in the hardest of times. A boy, has that teaching about Baruch Hashem, blessing God for the good, as well as the bad times, been like thrown right back into my face now. It's showtime. It's real now. It's like, wow, how are we supposed to respond to this? And so before we start, I just want to invite Ari here to share his heart with us, to share his thoughts, help us connect with the heart of Israel. And uh just even if the world has separated us now, I know that Ari can connect us. So Ari.
2: Shalom, my friends. This has been a very painful and difficult time. It was a very difficult Shabbat. My wife, Shayna, was on the phone with her dear friends from New Jersey about their oldest son, Donny Morris, the son of Rabbi Yechiel and Merlana Morris. Their son was in Mayron and was missing and everybody feared the worst. Shana was trying to help them arrange transportation uh, on Shabbat to get from New Jersey here to Israel as Donnie was still missing and they were given a rabbinical exemption to travel on Shabbat if it could help with the search. But minutes before Shabbat came in, the, the dreaded news arrived and he was among the 45 who lost their lives in the horrific events on Thursday night. The news is releasing footage of this catastrophic event that happened on Thursday night, but I just can't even bring myself to watch it. It's just too devastating. Because this is when the mourning is supposed to end. The reason my beard and hair are so long is because we don't cut our hair during the first 33 days of the Omer because it's a time of mourning. And why are we mourning? because of the deaths of Rabbi Akiva's 24,000 students that died during the first 33 days of the Omer. And when Lagba Omer arrived, the death ended. But why did those 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva have to die? Well, it's common knowledge. You ask any person on the street here in Israel, you ask any school child, they died because they didn't treat each other with respect. They didn't love and value each other like they were supposed to but what people don't often discuss is how they died. There's a widely accepted historical understanding that they died in the historic Bar Kokhba revolt against the Romans, which Rabbi Akiva definitely supported, and it's widely believed that he fought in himself as well. But why isn't that discussed? Why don't we focus on that? And I believe the answer is that as Jews, we focus much more on the why than on the how. When we mourn on the 9th of Av, we barely mention the Babylonians or the Romans who destroyed the Temple. We focus instead on our own sins, on our own faults. Mipnei chate'enu galinu Because of our sins, we were exiled from our land. We, we reaffirm this in our prayers every single Shabbat. So while the students of Rabbi Akiva died heroically in the revolt against the Romans to liberate our land, Through a spiritual historical perspective, we understand the deeper reason that they didn't treat each other with love and respect. We don't always have that knowledge. Why things happen the way they do, the pogroms, the crusades, the holocausts of history. We can never know definitively why they happen. We can seek understanding and we can pursue meaning, but we never know. But we always need to ask. We always need to seek understanding. We need to try to understand the message Hashem is communicating to us. Here's the father of a young boy named Yedidyev, who was killed in Meirun.
0: Okay, let's begin with you, okay. Vigdor, please. Yes, we are here, in the house of my okay. son. As you know, it was clear from 5 o'clock okay. okay. in the <illas> uh, kısset- שיתברר שהוא פשוט euh, נהרג, נהרג די במקום הוא לא פונה אפילו לבית חולים זה הבן ששכב לידי על הרצפה כשהיינו ברמפה למטה כשכל המסה של האנשים עלינו זה הילד שצעק, שמה ישראל, ובידוי, אבא אני מת אז הנה, ברוך השם הוא כאן, עם נקה ברגל ידידיה נצר ירוב לא סרד ידידיה היה ילד צדיק וילד קדוש no. ואימא יא רוצה שאני אגיד משהו לדבר אחד אנחנו כולנו יש לנו מחנה אחד משותף אנחנו יהודים ‫כרגע, אנחנו לא מחפשים שום השמים ‫ולא שום דבר. ‫אנחנו אנשים מאמינים ויודעים ‫שמה הקדוש ברוך הוא, עושה, הוא יודע הוא זה מאוד. אחד אנחנו יודעים העולם. ‫אם ידידי היה עכשיו במקומי, ‫הואה אומר דבר אחד, ‫רבותיי, בואו נתאחד. ‫זה הזמן, זה המקום. ‫אנחנו גדולים מאוד באסונות. ‫אז כולם, אף אחד לא בודק כיפה יש שני, יש לו כיפה או אין לו כיפה, וזה ציציות, יש לו, כולם עוזרים אחד לשני, הייתי בשבת ובטח עולים גזיב תאמינו לי, משם צריך ללמוד מה זה אחדות יהודים וערבים, דתיים, חילונים, חרדים וחסידים, כולם ביחד שם לא בודקים מי אתה, אתה. אנחנו לא צריכים מצבים אנחנו, החובה שלנו, עכשיו כאן זה הרגע, לקום ולהתאחד מספיק מספיק אנחנו מדינה קטנה, אנחנו קצת מאוד יהודים מול כל העולם מה שיש לי לומר, בואו נתאחד. A coronavirus didn't speak to us, of course. and other decisions and the other one, the other one. We need to be together. This Sheni, the message that I have. And if my friends were I
2: How powerful is that? my ways are not your ways hashem tells us through the prophet isaiah this is true but it's incumbent upon us to turn to hashem with humble hearts and ask why there are difficult things to understand in my personal life right now very difficult things difficult things for israel difficult things for the world as my friend and rebbe Judah michel said when i turned to him with my own pain and my own dilemmas he said The important thing is that this pain should bring you closer to Hashem. Not more distant, but closer. No matter what, don't let it distance you from Hashem. There was a Jew, I don't know his name, but he shared a perspective that I want to share with you. He said that there are two places he could think of where celebration turned to tragedy. The first is the dedication of the tabernacle, which was supposed to be a great joy, but was shattered, as we remember, with the tragic death of Nadav and Avihu. And the other was the return of the tabernacle to Israel in Samuel chapter 6, in which Uzzah grabs the tabernacle so it won't fall, and he dies on the spot. Both situations were celebrations in which Hashem determined that more important than the celebration was that there was a lesson that needed to be learned, however painful it would be. Hashem, please give us the strength to accept your will with love and with faith and give us the hearts to come closer to you through our pain so we can finally bring Mashiach to dry up our tears and to heal our broken hearts. Thank you, my friends. May we only know joy together in the future. Back to you, Jeremy.
1: Oh, thank you, Ari. You're always so good. No, just, just wanna send out love and light to the world. I would like the fellowship to be sad right now it's just like this is what israel is experiencing now so here we are as a fellowship experiencing it together you know in the song of ascents in the book of psalms it says the shem restores the captivity of zion those who sow with tear will reap with joy those who cry with israel they'll there will be the ones that laugh with us together in a new jerusalem and i guess in that way i'm happy we can be a connection for so many lovers of israel outside of israel and even the Heber that are here you know it's hard i just can't look at these videos i can't watch the news it's it's so hard, so just to take this time just to be real, to really be with Israel as a nation in their hearts now. And so here's my attempt to try to make sense of this whole thing. I, I hope that I do it justice, but I'm just groping in the dark here. Um, you know, the, the modern world and a lot of spiritual practices and psychology, they see the human experiences as a triangle. And so, you know, I'm going to try to explain this as best as I can, but as we like move forward, whatever comes out of my mouth, it is like from just such a place of, of wanting to do good, dedicated to the souls who left the world, dedicated to the families that are left behind. And so just like, we'll start like from the outside and then maybe we'll try to like go in Um, the psychologist, Abraham Maslow, he defined it um, right, I think in his hierarchy of needs, it's like 1943. He published his paper called A Theory of Human Motivation. Can we get that picture up on the screen? So here's what he says. He says, in human life, first of all, people need to take care of their physiological needs. You need water, you need food, shelter, clothes. You need sleep. It's just like the basics. Okay, you got that. That's good. After that, you're driven towards safety. You know, as a personal security, employment, health, property, you know, then you want love and belonging, makes sense. It's like a higher level. It's like friendship, intimacy, family, a sense of connection. Then he says, esteem, it's the next level. You want respect and status and recognition in your community. You wanna you know, rise up the social ranks of the world. And then he says the highest level that's driving us ultimately is the desire to become the most that one can be. And the idea here is that like once you've met those fundamental physical and psychological needs, there's a deep desire within us to fully express ourselves in the world. Maslow writes, what we can be, we must be. And that's just a very spiritual biblical idea. If you have a latent potential inside you, there's a place inside you that wants to express that in the world, to bring it out, Um, But the biblical way of relating to that triangle is to really flip it upside down. (laughs) It's like the more self-actualized you are, then you're not up alone on a mountain. No, you're, you're more connected to what's happening down here. The more connected you are to the world around you the more connected you are to the people around you. You're not alone in enlightenment in your mansion, overlooking the ocean or on a mountain top meditating. You're connected to your family. You're more connected to your community, to your country, to the world. Fully actualized is someone who isn't alone on the top, but fully actualized serving the people around him or her, connected below. And maybe that's the meaning of the Star of David. You know, it's such a Jewish symbol. It's like this triangle, That's inverted upside and down. It's like the symbol the Nazis chose to use as yellow stars to mark Jews in publics to shame us. It's the heart of the flag of Israel. It's the symbol that identifies the Jewish people more than any other symbol. And in Hebrew, the star of David is actually called the shield of David, the magendavid, meaning when David went out to battle, that was the symbol on his shield. Protected him and his soldiers in battle. You can understand why people want to wear a star of David. It's like such a popular necklace. Who wouldn't want to wear the shield of David around them? But I think that's there's a key there. You're you're not only at the top of the triangle. The triangle needs to be inverted as well and directed down. You can stretch toward the heaven like Jacob's ladder. But the ladder of Jacob reached toward the heaven, but was rooted firmly on the ground. That is the way of the Torah. And I'm saying that you know not only to deliver a deeper meaning of the Star of David, but I think you know it answers the fundamental question of like what on earth was going on in this mass gathering in Meron, Like it's a primal spiritual actualization that can only happen when people come together. People are like wondering, what is that? That's not in the Bible, Lagba, Omer. Where is that place? What's going on there? And so I just want to answer that fundamental question that I think a lot of Israelis and non-Israelis are asking. Like, why are so many hundreds of thousands of people flocking to Meron every year? Like, what is this Lag Baomer gathering? It's the largest gathering in all of Israel by far. It's the largest Jewish gathering in the world by far. Clearly, something is going on there. So here is my take on it. And I think this is the right way to think about it. Like, deep inside the Jewish soul, there's a yearning for an experience. It's an experience that we learn about as young children, that we dream about when we're learning the Bible, we cry over every ninth of Av, the date that the temples were destroyed. You know, Judaism wasn't originally a religion of reciting words in a prayer book. That was not the original Jewish spiritual experience. Rabbinic Judaism, as its practice today, saved the Jewish people during the exile. But Rabbinic Judaism was trying to hold on to a spirit to a reality that could only be experienced in the land of Israel, that could only be experienced in the temple in Jerusalem. That temple experience was the core of prophetic Judaism, biblical Judaism, and when the Romans came, they destroyed our entire ancient world, but they couldn't destroy our dream to return home. That desire to worship God like days of old still burns in the Jewish soul. It's like that yearning never died in our hearts. That was well, I mean, if you think about it, what was the temple experience like? It was a mass gathering of hundreds of thousands of people. There was fire. There was music, song, dancing, just ecstasy, togetherness. There was an energy of love, hope, unity, prayer, a spiritual energy that can only be generated by thousands and thousands of people coming together with one purpose, with one heart. Uh, sounds too good to be true. Perhaps in the Western world, such a gathering might be too good to be true. But in Israel, it's a reality you can experience every Lagba Omer in Meron. You can actually feel the emergence of temple Judaism again. And I want you to see this clip. It's just for a few moments, but it's a video that was taken a few minutes right before the disaster in Meron this year. Look at what it looked like. thousands and thousands of people singing and praying for Mashiach to come I mean there's just nothing like that any other place or any other time in Israel and you know it's, it's like this fellowship is more than just a master class on the Torah you know it's like we all want to align ourselves with the destiny of Israel and like look at what's happening here it's like, wow, there's something that's happening here that's like beyond these beautiful people, these believers in God, the most passionate, most dedicated to living by the Torah. The people that live with God as a top priority in their life. They came together to sing, to pray for Mashiach. They're praying for the whole world. They're praying for world peace. They're praying for the end of Corona, for the end of sickness and poverty. They're praying for Mashiach. That video is just like one section of Meron. <laughs> Can you imagine that's just like one part? There's like a, a whole reality that's happening there. It's so close, it's as close as we can get to prophetic Judaism today in this world. You like you want to taste the temple experience of fire, unity, love, prayer, hundreds of thousands of people. It's like go to Meron. It's like, what happened there? It's just inconceivable. It's like, what the whole thing is so shocking. <laughs> And so I've just been like crafting and like sighing and praying and like thinking, it's like, what is this? And so this session, it's just my struggle with tragedy. It's like how I'm trying to approach reality, how I'm trying to see the world now. And I'm hoping that maybe like if the Torah trains us to react in the face of challenge and tragedy and hardship, maybe it will shed some light for us now and maybe for all of our struggles. It's like last session I spoke about blessing God for the good in life and blessing God for the bad. It's like talk about a mirror in my face. It's like, oh, like, are you sure about that teaching now, Jeremy? How on earth could we possibly bless God? for this tragedy. It's like last session, I spoke about like the hero's mindset, like the spirit of the Maccabees in the face of hardship, powered by God. You have a problem, Baruch Hashem, you have a solution. You lost your job, Baruch Hashem, I'll get a better job. You lost out on that deal, Baruch Hashem, now I can work harder on my presentation because God is preparing a greater opportunity for me. I got sick, Baruch Hashem, I really needed to rest. There were so many documentaries that I wanted to watch and I didn't have time to. Training yourself to root your thoughts in good, root your so- thoughts in faith, orienting yourself that the way that the world aligns itself, it's aligning for your good. Nothing happens to you. Things happen for you. It's all for the good. That's the way of the Torah. But then tragedy strikes. It's like 45 righteous families are destroyed. Hundreds of orphans. Oh my God. The hells of chaos have just been unleashed on so many families now. What do I do with that? I can't, I'm not going to say Baruch Hashem to that. I can maybe say Baruch Hashem when it hits me. It's just not possible. It's not even appropriate for me to say Baruch Hashem. Bigger things are on the horizon for those families. So what is the right response? Like what is the call to action in the face of tragedy that's just beyond yourself? When you find it impossible to find the good. When you see no possible reason. where How do you just invite God in to total disaster? And so... I wanna to turn to scripture to find some sort of guidance. And, you know, just like Ari said, now, Lagba Omer, we commemorate the end of the 24,000 deaths of the students of Rabbi Akiva who perished, resisting the Roman conquest of Israel. You know, just a handful of students survived, just his tightest, closest students. And one of them was the expert on the hidden sides of Torah, on, like the heart of prophetic Judaism. And Teila said, you know, that really gives us strength for our fellowship, you know, just hundreds of people, billions in the world. But that small group of people transformed Judaism, saved the world, everyone that learns Torah, everyone that knows the Bible. It's all because of that small, tiny handful of people that survived. It's like that small group of people can change the world. we celebrate the survival of the torah we celebrate the survival of the spirit of prophetic judaism embodied by rabbi shimon bar yochai who left the world on lagba omer it's like the ancient day of celebration oh god it just became a day of national mourning like how did this happen (laughs) a day of national celebration became a day of national mourning so there's two stories you know it's like the culmination in the torah the culmination of the exodus Moses and Aaron went through a seven-day process before the nation, and then finally the big day arrived. It's like Sinai, everything. It's like Israel was finally going to establish a dwelling place for God in the world, a victorious day, a national celebration. Nadav and the sons of Aaron, the high priest, they come into the tabernacle with a strange fire. Both of them are struck down dead in front of all of Israel. That day that was supposed to be a national celebration became a day of national mourning. And Aaron, I mean, his beloved children, they were beloved by the whole nation. They were going to be the first priest to serve Israel. Aaron's response, that's what I want to talk about. It's been echoing throughout the generations. V'yidom Aharon. And Aaron was silent. Aaron was still. He had no words. And we also know the other time that Ari just mentioned now, the time in the Bible, King David was at the height of his kingship. Defeated the enemies of Israel. Now he's charged with the mission of bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, started laying the groundwork for the temple. On his way up to Jerusalem in the midst of this massive celebration, tragedy struck. Uzzah reached out, grabbed the covenant, struck dead in front of everyone. Now, now David was no Aaron. David was angry. at David got angry at God, understandably so. That was the climax of David's life, the greatest celebration the nation had ever known in their lifetime. And in the midst of the greatest celebration was all stopped. So David's initial response was emotional, but then he stopped three months. He waited. And in his own way, that was David's way of being still. In both cases, Aaron's silence and David's three months point us to the Proper response to tragedy. First, just stay still. Don't immediately respond, hold the space. It took David three months to come to peace with what had happened and make sense of it all. When the challenge arises, the first step is to create a space of no response, of silence, of stillness. And so I just wanna focus on that for a moment. Vayidom Aharon, Vayidom in Hebrew is stillness and silence to stand dome in the army means you're standing up straight not moving silent at attention it's like like the flag is going up stop and this in some ways is the heart of the bible and the core strategy of how to deal with challenge something happens there's a cause, next, there's an effect. Something bad happens to me. I hear terrible news has happened, It's cause. I burst out crying and find my bed to go lie down and hide from the world, effect, cause, effect. That's the way it works. The Torah is telling us something absolutely critical here. Vagidom, stop, be silent, be still, do not respond. There's a space in between the cause and the effect. There's a space between the stimulus and our response. We need to hold that space, aharon. In that space is our freedom to choose. The revolutionary Jewish psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, writes in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. This is what he writes. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And our response lies our growth and our freedom. Viktor Frankl, in one of the most powerful books that I've ever read, Man's Search for Meaning, rooted deeply in Jewish thought, he tells his experiences of living through the Nazi concentration camp in Auschwitz, watching people give up on life in total despair with no reason to live, suffering day after day, starving, being tortured day after day, physically and mentally, so many Jews just broke and gave up on life. But some people were committing suicide. The people though around them, some of them, found the strength not only to survive, but to help others around them in need. It's like some people are absolutely breaking and then others are like emerging so strong. It's like, wow, how did they do that? That's so heroic. How did they find the inner strength? It was in the power of Vayidon. At the height of his greatest joy, tragedy hit Aaron, his two sons who he had raised and trained to be the next leaders of Israel. They were struck down in front of all of Israel. Aaron holds the space between what happened to him and his response, Vayidon Aaron. He was silent and still. Here's another quote from Man's Search for Meaning. Everything can be taken from man, but one thing. The last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Anything can happen to us, but no one can take away our freedom to choose how we respond. Our freedom to choose how we respond, that's the agency that makes us uniquely human. That's why the culmination of the covenant is choose life. That's what Moses says in the book of Deuteronomy before the Jews go into Israel. The choice, you know, we look at this tragedy in Israel, and before we blame the politicians and point fingers and shake our fists at heaven in resentment and anger, it's like, wait a minute, I want to create a space. I want to choose my response now. And in that way, I want to invite God into my life to face this tragedy together with him. My initial response to Meron, I was like King David. I'm like, I am pissed what is going on here god really after all we've been through a year of isolation finally believers come together to worship you in goodness to pray for mashiach and that's what they get like why what is going on here but then i was like, wait a minute god didn't do anything here we did this but our politicians are to blame Our government in Israel has become so incompetent and dysfunctional. It's like in two years, we've had four elections. We're on our way to our fifth election. We're still not able to form a coalition. It's mostly because of people's egos and feelings. There's not even ideology here. It's just ridiculous. And in the chaos of years without a stable government and disorganization, tragedies like this are bound to happen. That's where most of Israel's attention is at right now. We're just so angry at our politicians and at the government. But there's no space there either that's just pointing outside. It's like, wait a minute, pointing and blaming anyone outside of ourselves is not a good strategy. It's not the right question to ask. It's not useful. Nothing useful will come of that. Blaming God, asking why. It's like we have no idea why and we never, ever will, period. But the Hebrew language guides us to the right question here. It's pretty amazing. We want to ask the question, why? And the Hebrew teaches us what really to ask. Look at the Hebrew word, why, for a second. The Hebrew word, why, is lama. But the same exact word, lema for what? It's the same word. But it's just teaching us the right way to ask. Tila taught me this idea in the name of Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik. It's like, in matters of the ultimate, it's just improper to ask why. It's not in the human capacity to understand. Humans, it's not possible for us to know why. The proper question is, for what? Not lama, but lemma. For what purpose? Lama, why, is looking at the cause. It's looking at the past. Lemma, for what purpose, is looking at what we can learn right now for the future. For what? What is this situation calling me to do now? What is my purpose here now? What is my best response in this situation, in the space that we create? The Torah teaches us we take on full and total responsibility for the future. In that space, we have agency of choice and our own free will, and we need to take full ownership of our situation. People could say, ah, full ownership of my situation. I mean, my child has cancer, God forbid. My husband just died. I'm alone now. And I, I, with the responsibility of raising nine children by myself. Now, I'm not saying you take responsibility for what happened, but in the space that you create, you take complete ownership of your response to that situation. Look at what Viktor Frankl says once again. When we are no longer able to change a situation we are challenged to change ourselves each man is questioned by life and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life to life he can only respond by being responsible there are things that are in our control and there are things that are out of our control and most of the things in our life are absolutely out of our control the only thing that we can change as ourselves to life, we can only respond by taking responsibility to fully own our response. Something happens to you, you take full responsibility. Think about that word, look how it's written. Can we get that up on the screen? Responsibility, look at the word, response, ability. We have the ability to respond in any way that we want. You have the ability to respond. That is 100% in your control. That's the only thing we have complete control over, our ability to respond. Something happens. I'm not just going to immediately have a cause and effect. The spiritual and psychological practice is to create a space. If there's one consistent message throughout all of the Bible, you will find extreme responsibility. The prophets of Israel... Put the full weight of responsibility on the Jewish people. The prophets don't blame God, they don't blame other nations. Tragedy, that's our reality now. We had our nations been more unified, things might have been better now. All we can do is figure out how to be better from here on. And in that place, that's when we invite God into the tragedy. We've been spoken, we've spoken about this before, but the word blessing in Hebrew, bracha is the same root so deeply connected to the word brecha, which means pool. It literally is the same letters. We're opening ourselves up to receive like a pool being filled with water, blessing. God is bringing, we're bringing God's blessing, his guidance into the equation here. It's like Israel is experiencing a day of national mourning in the situation for those families. is too much pain for me to think about for too long. Stop, silence, still, stillness. It's like, how do I respond now? Lema, to what? What am I called to do now? That's the only thing we got. How we ask that question and how we answer that question is going to make all of the difference in a very real way. You are the sum total of choices you've made throughout your life up until right now your life situation, who you are, who you've married, everything that you've created is the sum total of choices that you've made throughout your life. Some of your choices were deliberate, some of them weren't, but your choices have brought you to where you are today. The more God is involved in your choices, believe me, the better your life will be. Think about it this way, your future self will be made up exactly the same way. A good rule would be to make choices that your future self will thank you for. And if you invite God into the equation, that's a wonderful way to ensure that you are making a high level choice and not just an immediate impulsive response. So now I want to address, how do we choose to respond? in the space that you create, how exactly do we invite God into that place? What's the technology there? How do we invite God into that time, into our lives? And this is the answer from the Torah. You enter into a conversation with yourself. In Hebrew, this form of meditation is called hit bodedut, rooted in the word alone, boded. It's just you and yourself, boded, alone. You enter into a conversation with yourself. Ask and you shall receive. What does that mean? Ask the question. Something happened to me. How should I respond now? Tragedy hit me. Hashem, what do I do now? How should I respond? Wait, you'll start to get answers. Information will be revealed to you. Where do these answers come from? I mean, they come from so down deep inside your being that no scientist has a clue. I mean, you might get several answers and the answers might contradict each other. You might have to enter into maybe a Gemara-like argument between those voices and those ideas. So ask the question clearly. How do you want to face this challenge? Do you want to respond well? Do you want to respond by just getting by? Do you want to respond great? Or do you want to respond in the best possible way that you can? That's the right question to ask. What would be the best possible response in the world that I could come up with right now facing this challenge? What is the most noble, the most loving, the most heroic, the most compassionate, the most wise? What is the best possible response right now? That's why your purpose isn't found. Your purpose is forged. It's like the challenges of life Life, they force us to find our way. They forge our path toward victory. The challenges push us to rise to this occasion. The challenge is the way to bring out our best possible self, a self that we can admire, a self that honors what it means to be created in the image of God, a self that's a light to the people who need us, that are around us. It's like in tragedy, we can either choose to become bitter or we can choose to become better. We can lose our faith or we can apply our faith. I like to think about it this way. Your life is the training ground for you to be the world champion of yourself. (laughs) It's like you wanna be oriented toward the ultimate good. What we aspire to be, this is a spiritual rule. What you aspire to be is who you are. It's not who you are now. What you aspire to be is who you are. You are who you want to be. You are who you aspire to be. You become what you worship. And if our eyes are toward Hashem and we're creating that godly reality into our life, we will become better and better, stronger and stronger, more loving, more good. It's like when I enter into a dialogue with the good that's beyond me right now, I'm like, groping in the dark, trying to find the best me, trying to find the best response. When I'm reaching out into the good that's beyond me, what's we can call that good God. But if you're not comfortable with God, you don't have to call it that. You can call it your conscience. You can call it your higher self. But there's a spirit within you that's not you but somehow exists within you and beyond you, and you can communicate with it. It guides you, and when you violate it, that spirit lets you know you've done something wrong. And whenever you call it, the action is the same. Whatever you call it, give it any name you want, you open yourself up to guidance you open yourself up to God's blessing. You make a place for him like a pool to receive his guidance. I am 100% convinced on this matter. If you make choices in life with the pause of vaidom and you proactively choose your response because you believe this is the best response you could possibly make, your choices in life will lead you toward blessing. Your life will be without a doubt better than a life you have just impulsively responded toward at every stimulus with no agency. I mean, think about it. When you hold that space and choose your response this way it's like, to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your teenagers, to your boss, to your friends, you don't just let the stimulus cause a response you recall Aaron vagidom Aaron still the challenge becomes like something it's like thrown onto a fire it's not something that stops you it's like if you respond properly that challenge now can fuel the flame in your life. It can make you stronger. It's like the challenge will bring out the best in us if we respond the right way. What was happening around the people in Viktor Frankl's life when they chose to respond with heroic nobility, it empowered them. It gave them more strength. In some ways like this responsibility It's the essence of biblical spiritual living. It is choosing to respond at the highest level. And there's like beginner's spirituality and there's advanced spirituality. Philosophy is beginner's spirituality. Advanced spirituality is when it's practiced in the world. Theory, theology, philosophy, ideas, Torah, that's all good, but that's just the beginning advanced spirituality is when you practice it in your life you become advanced when you practice the philosophy in the battlefield of life and it's like wow so what is being asked of us right now there's a lot of pain in israel now we're all being asked to respond now and that response is going to be different with each and every person based on their circumstances based on who they are I mean, when life knocks us off balance with tragedy or challenge, our goal is to have the pause, to have the dome of Aharon. The teaching of Dr. Frankel is to choose to respond in the best possible way. At every challenge then we can find the meaning that can bring out light in the world. It's like, I know this time of year, we're called to love more. The students of Rabbi Akiva, that was like their final message to us. That was the lesson Rabbi Akiva's students who died left us 2,000 years ago to respect each other more, especially those different than us. And so I know for me, I know Tehillah is not going to be happy with this idea, but I want to go to Mehron next year. I don't want the passion for prophetic Judaism to lose its strength because of this tragedy. I only want it to grow. And I don't know, perhaps there's homework for us, for all of us. I know that for me, I'm going to be visiting a Shiva house somewhere in Israel. I need to be with that family. I need to be close to them. I know that that's what I need to do. But for all of us, you know, it's like, what act can I do today to bring more love and unity in the world? Is there something I can do in my home Is there something I can do for my wife? Something I can do for my husband? Something I can do for my children, for my family, for my community, for Israel? Is there something I can do for a friend? What is being asked of me now? How can I respond in a way? We're being called from Zion with a lot of pain. And now our job as like this tree of life is to like try to bring fruits of light. Try to bring fruits of blessing to the people around us. Take that and like bring light into the world. That is the best response. And so... I'm faced with this tragedy in Israel. How can I bring light to this darkness? Hashem, what is the best possible response for me? And so thank you all for your love and for your support. Hashem should always bless you and guide you all. You know, I say that I pray for all of you. And then finally, my postcards arrived. I wanted to show you that I took time and sent out blessings from Israel to every member in this fellowship. And it took so long to arrive, but finally they started arriving at people's doors. <laughs> and so, you know, it's real. I'm really praying. and I just, our prayers are what's guiding us and our love is what's uniting us. And hopefully we will emerge greater, stronger, and more connected. And that these families should somehow find comfort and peace and that we should send our love to them in any way that we can. So thank you all for your love and support. Hashem should always bless you and always guide you. Adonai panav Adonai shalom. Shalom, my friends.
2: To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below, or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the land of Israel live from the Judean frontier